Welcome to another exciting edition of Movies and Tea. This is, of course, our after-hours portion of the show. Um, and more importantly, this is our second ever Shark Week. And I'm your host, Edward. And joining me, of course, here in the booth is my co-host, Kim. Hey. <laughs> after the fun we had last season covering the Meg, uh, we decided, you know, because there being so many shark movies that we would want to cover that you know we'll just turn it into a regular feature so welcome one and all to our shark week and basically at the end of each season uh this portion of the after hours uh section of the shows will be dedicated to looking at basically the best worst whatever shark movies we uh we can find that take our interest so tonight we're going to be looking at the classic 1999 deep blue sea uh, directed by Rennie Harlan and starring Saffron Burroughs, Thomas Jane, Samuel Jackson, Michael Report, and LL Cool J. If you're obviously not familiar with the film itself, uh, it's set in a converted submarine pen which has been turned into a research station where a team of scientists are working on a cure for Alzheimer's uh, using genetically engineered Mako sharks, which unfortunately have become, as a result of this uh, tampering, super smart. And when a situation occurs that uh, causes the, the the facility to be crippled and start sinking, um, it's up to this team of scientists to not only escape the facility, but also to avoid being turned, being turned into shark child by the very sharks that they bred. Obviously, this was released in 1999, the greatest movie year ever. If you don't believe me, prove me wrong. And uh, Kim, I mean, did you see this one in the cinema or was this one you sort of saw later in life? I definitely saw this one later in life. Um, but it is my first shark movie that I ever, ever saw in my life. I still remember that exact moment of seeing it and like where I was and how it was just like, I don't remember. I think I was like, I wasn't that old. Um, and I, I think I was like 15 or something. And I, okay. and I had seen, I don't know how I got I think we rented it maybe or whatever and and I was sitting upstairs in like a room in front of those really old TVs with a VCR (laughs) and then I was just watching it um and I was I remembered watching it and I was like so I found it so intense and I was like shaking 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 um with every sequence obviously through the years I've watched it over and over again and it's kind of like maybe it's because it's my first shark movie I ever watched that it's um the memory of it is is and the nostalgia behind it is so great to me that i really really love this movie still even if i know what happens um i still really have a great time with it yeah i mean it's surprising really that this was your first shark movie i was fully expecting you to say that jaws was like your first shark movie so there's a little bit of a surprise there um for myself i mean i i remember when this film was being like advertised and just like obsessing over the little website that they had and i mean this was so early in the days of the internet that the fact that the deluxe site um you had to have flash for and that was kind of a rare thing for, to, for people to have on the computers so if you had a decent uh, enough computer which i think one computer in the whole of our college was good enough you could go on the little flash site and explore the um the submarine station or you could just go on the bog standard site and like Sit around for half an hour waiting for this fifty for this two minute trailer to load up, um, which was fun, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I was so excited to see this film, and the fact it 
actually delivered was i think a lot more of a surprise i think this really became something of a cult hit just through like general word of mouth i think a bunch of people went and saw it like on a friday it came out and like the next sort of day um people were just like talking and saying that you know you have to go and see this movie it's so violent it's so gory and just like really talking it up and i was very surprised as well the fact that nobody was giving away some of the big spoilers during this film um everyone whether it's just the climate back then and the fact that we just weren't all a bunch of spoil hungry uh people or what i'm not too sure but there were so many surprises in this this film uh, and so many bits that just took me genuinely by surprise it was just such a memorable experience and i just remember and like you said it was just such an intense experience and the sound especially even though there's none of that sort of like classic jaws like dum 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 sort of like musical cues here it just like perfectly set the mood and like the tension with like the score because i mean here it's not just like a sharp movie you've got elements of a disaster flick in there as well you've got some like black humor in there um and it, it just delivers on so many levels it's it it's just uh makes you wonder why we've not re really had a good follow-up since i mean they obviously tried to give an official follow-up to this in 2018 which i've yet to see but the <laughs> fact that went direct to dvd doesn't hold bode well for it well i think that's also the fact that deep blue sea is so long ago it's more of an excuse i think for whoever was making this movie to kind of like either latch onto the people who really love the first one and wanted and who will see the second one or really just kind of give some publicity to breathe life into deep blue sea because like you said it's kind of a cult movie like there's a lot of people yeah. who really like it and then there's a lot of people who are gonna not be happy with a lot of it because to be fair um you know after many viewings and knowing you know and after seeing a lot of shark movies there are a lot of flaws with it and it and it doesn't age well um, there's a lot of sequences where you really see, like, um, CGI so obviously there. Um, obviously people talk the most about is, like, the Samuel uh, L. Jackson death scene. Um, <laughs> and then you have a lot of the other things like that, too, that you really see those shark sequences. And they're, they, they really don't age well because, you know, technology has gotten so much better in that sense. But then, I mean, you know, you can argue the same thing about jaws and people still enjoy jaws and i think that that's the enjoyment is the atmosphere that this builds and i think that in in that sense you know if you if you look back at you know rennie harlan's you know just his directorial films he's had his ups and downs <laughs> in, his, in his you know in his movies that he's made you know i mean he's done gr like fun movies like die hard 2 and then he's done really crappy ones like the covenant um <laughs> and then you know yeah, it's really interesting sucked. it's really interesting that we're we're covering this because i've been you know i've been really interested in watching his upcoming film the misfits um and you know i'm and and that has to do with the fact that i i, I like one of the actors that he hired to do this i don't know, like what it's probably a supporting role or something and the cast is pretty decent um uh, but i mean like to look back at Deep Blue Sea, I never remembers that he did it until, like, I, you know, I look back at it because in my mind, I guess, the covenant kind of overcomes everything. And it's like, what? Oh, my God. Is that the same person? But no, I mean, Deep Blue Sea is really good um, in the sense that, you know, there is a satisfying amount of gore to it. And there's a, there's a good, but there's also that dread feeling, right? There's this. Uh, there's all these little details that if you look really carefully, like um, when the water's coming and you kind of see the shark coming in at the same time sometimes. And then 
there's little details like, you know, um, playing around with, you know, definitely like the research part where there's like, you don't know, like, especially this one sequence where, you know, um, Saffron Burroughs, who plays Susan, who, like, she goes back to pick up something and then, you know, her test shark swims in behind, like, floats in behind her. And you, because they've been, you know, you keep thinking that maybe it's the real thing, right? And then you get the fake scares and you get the, the good scares, but they don't do that a lot. So it also really helps that, you know, um, at the same time, you know, like, there's, like, the soundtrack and there's that murky water. And I just really think there, there's a lot going for here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the opening sort of shark attack... I think it still gets me every time. I know it's coming, but and the fact that they drag it out so long that um, that you completely. I think every time I seem to miss the the cue just before it just arrives. So when it like bursts in the middle of the boat, uh, this giant shark is something like you always catch him like off guard. But just the build up to it is uh, it's so good. But you know what's really great about the front first scene is that it kind of breaks off from. Um, the normal shark movies that we'll see. Because in the in normal shark movies, we also have that starting opening sequence where you see the shark attack other people. And in this one, they are attacking. But at the same time, like, the shark is attacking. But at the same time, it doesn't complete its attack because it gets held back by, you know, um, by Carter, Carter. By Carter, which is played by Thomas Jane. Um, who Who really just kind of, like... Who really starts, you know, we start seeing all these characters come to life and we really get to see, like, their roles in this facility as well. And, you know, thinking, and if you talk about the facility, you know, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but we talk about the facility, I get this really Resident Evil feeling about how, you know, Paul W. Anderson would do this whole, like, you know, um, you know, back when we looked at Paul W. Anderson films, is that we would get this really, like, blueprint of where we are. And I think Rennie Harlan for Deep Blue Sea also does a really good job at highlighting just how big this um, this facility actually is with the different levels and how he pulls out and then uses another um, angle or another object to kind of bring him into another level to where someone else is. And you start seeing all these little tracks around that these people could use to escape or around the facility. And that really shows, like, you know, it. there's so much use of that. There's so much, like, great use of the space also. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I just want to also take a point to look at the the makeup of this this crew because i mean it, yes i mean it's it's a skeleton crew that we're left with obviously when sarah jackson's character um sort of lands on the facility it's established like pretty much straight away that it's just like a skeleton crew that are just going to be um at the facility and at the same time there's quite a mixed bunch of people that we have it's safe to say that as well they're kind of like rock and roll sort of scientists Mm. They're not like uh, those you know, stuffy types that just hang around in white lab coats. These are like, you know, the fun, uh, fun scientists who just like uh, can spend all the time partying before they go off to do serious science stuff. And uh, we get these like hints and bits and pieces of of their sort of like character. I mean, we obviously with Carter we get some like uh, kind of hints that he was like had a bit of a smuggler's background. Um, certainly. When it comes to Samuel Jackson's character Russell, he's he's seemingly clued up on who everyone is, yet for some reason takes all this time to go and question who everyone is at the same time. I mean, obviously we're introduced to Doctor Jim Whitcock, played by Stellan Starsgard, who 
he he's only in it kind of briefly and despite being described as a genius he's introduced pissing into the wind which <laughs> at least they bother to question yeah, but I feel uh, like I feel like Stellan Skarsgård usually ends up getting these kind of like odd roles. I mean, in that in that sense, you know, he always has this kind of like I don't know. He always is that sort of character. Like even in like um, like using like I guess was it was it him in Nymphomaniac? It was right. Yes, he's in Nymphomaniac. Yeah, so you know you have that like ending sequence, which is kind of like a bit shocking as well for the character that he's playing. So he always plays these mm. characters that have this kind of like opposite kind of. Uh, unexpected side to the character that he's he's usually portraying yeah he's um oh he's like um um he's very similar to peter stormer yeah in that respect yeah he's sort of like but this thing peter stormer despite being swedish is constantly drafted as the crazy drunk rushing guy mm-hmm. um especially if you watch a lot of michael bay movies you'll see him a lot yeah he tends to be in like armageddon bad boy 2 and i was surprised that he didn't turn up in this movie somewhere Hmm. It seemed like the sort of sort of material that he could really get into. So I guess that um, Scott's God was covering our foreign quota for the film. So we've got, as I said, we've got some uh, sort of like fun characters. I mean, we've got Michael Rapport as as uh, Scroggins. We've got LL Cool J as as the cook, who everyone really likes for some reason. But I I never really dug his character. Um, apparently, there's a rule that that uh, LL Cool J has to survive every movie he's in. <laughs> and, and i think you know i can't i think that he's he's really there just for like obviously the the comic relief right um he's there making cracking all these random jokes and then and then like making these one-liners and stuff like that and i think that in one part he he really like it also kind of like breaks the norm as well for something like this, and I th- he says it, in, and it kind of breaks the fourth wall a little, right? In the sense where he he there's one line where, and then he says like, "Oh, I'm done. Brothers never make it out of situations like this, not ever," you know. <laughs> and, and it's just like, and it's just really like, you know. That, that was kind of like that moment where you kind of like have that laugh where you're kind of like, oh, well, is he going to make it out alive? Obviously, if it's the first time you watched it, um, you're probably going to you're probably going to ask that question. Right. Um, yeah. Especially nowadays when we kind of know the sequence of how, you know, creature features have their have their deaths occur and stuff like that. So in, in many ways, you know, just taking this as an example, like I really think that Deep Blue Sea also has that purpose of kind of breaking a lot of norms of what we'd expect out of movies like this. Oh, definitely. I think the fact that these are smart sharks uh, adds a certain new element to it because normally we have this this common trend within, especially in creature features, where you're dealing with supposed like gigantic versions of animals, be it sharks, bears, or ants, or whatever happens to be uh, taking the writer's interest at that time. And here we've obviously got the fact that these are genetically engineered sharks, so they're designed to be smarter, which means they can do some really ludicrous things, such as they can swim backwards and they can detect guns in one of the most stupid moments of the film. This is the thing. If no one had told me sharks can't swim backwards, I would never question that sequence at all. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Is There's a lot of things they say and you kind of have to accept it, right? I don't know if sharks can swim backwards. I'm going to take your word for it, right? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, there's there certain things that, you know, it really does. It is. There are some things really, 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 really ridiculous. And, you know, I think it starts at the fact that, like, they start telling, you know, at the beginning where they're like, 
he starts thinking about how that first shark escaped. Um, and then the general structure, the entire facility. Mm. And then, and then you know, at that point, you know, he looks at the fence and you're just kind of like, and it's just kind of like, you, you look at, and he's like, and then the, the conclusion is pretty much the shark could have jumped over the fence. And then I, the, I was always wondering this. It's like, what? How did the shark escape? Did it bite through, or did it like free will it over the fence? Which again would have been really, really cool to see. And we know sharks can obviously jump really high because yeah. of obviously the attack speed. And anyone who's seen like documentaries like Air Jaws will be able to uh, to, to attest to that. Um, and I love the fact. I mean, this the script itself was written by an Australian screenwriter called Duncan Kennedy, and he was inspired to write the film after he witnessed a horrific shark attack near his on a beach near his home and it traumatized him so much to the point that he was having this reoccurring nightmare where he was in a passageway with sharks that could read his mind and that's where he hit upon the idea of of these super smart sharks and it does as i said just the fact that you've got smart shots it and it adds this whole level even though i think once you get into the film in your mind they just they sort of revert back to being normal sort of sharks and it just sort of like only comes to effect once the need the shark to do something ludicrous which to the film's credit they don't really do that much sort of ludicrous sort yeah. of things they appear in some random places such as when we got like the tunnel sequence when we've got like obviously the samuel jackson's death sequence which he's actually gone on record to say is like one of his favorite death scenes of all time oh yeah um uh, and so many people, whenever we talked about that film, uh, when showing to other people, what people said about the movie, and it's sort of like, so interesting is they can see this rousing speech, and you as the audience are like fully like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this, we're gonna see this plan through, and it's suddenly like cut short, and you're like, oh, I guess we're gonna need a new plan, <laughs> which I really love, and it, it's stupid, but it's so effective at the same time. Yeah, and I love the fact as well, this isn't. Like a military movie, like when you like look at the Transformers movies to where it's all about the military machine and stuff. It's it's a very much like a blue collar sort of sci-fi uh, sort of horror movie, which I think is again another thing that runs to its strength. I mean, the fact is that you've got a group that are constantly having to improvise with things that they have, and a lot of time it's just them running away from sharks, um, or if they have to kill a shark, it's it's done in like the most creative or sexed up way possible. <laughs> I found is found are the two sort of key requirements here for for this film, and certainly the the ending. Um, I have to say was problematic. I mean, it was problematic in the original version where um, basically they had it so that Carter died, and then the audiences really didn't like it because they always saw Susan as being the villain of the piece because she created these sharks, and I've, I guess that her posh accent, you know, didn't wash well with. Uh, with the lowbrow crowd <laughs> you know they're working the nine to five they don't want to see like some posh person get away like scot free and you know now i have to pay for this so they actually superimposed her face over thomas jane's <laughs> face in the uh, in the footage and that's why she ends up biting the uh the bullet and we have that very sort of homoerotic ending between thomas jane and uh and hello cool j at the end there <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. I think that, you know, the, the 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 sharks are, you know, the fact that it doesn't, like you said, like the sharks, they don't use their, you know, their smartness to the full extent. And we really, I really do think that I most of the time I view them as being like normal sharks during the film. Yeah. But then, you know, when you think about it, 
these little things is what makes um is what creates some of these scenes um some of these like you know uh, water coming in and then you know there's the part where you know the gurney gets shot in the thing to break the glass and you have all these these different things that happen um all because these sharks are smarter and and you think about and then you know at one point he's like you know they create this as like a riddle right they're like what does an eight thousand pound mako shark with a brain the size of a flathead v8 engine and no natural predators think about and you know we get the answer at the end uh, of what these that these sharks are smart because of that final end game. Of course, you know, it it's you know the the easy answer to this is yeah. is very obvious is is you know is the fact that they want freedom. So they want to escape the facility, especially because now they're smarter. <laughs> right? And at the same time, you know, these sharks are really smart because that moment that we see them going backwards, it's not even the fact that they're going backwards, I think, that caught catches your eye, but the fact that these these sharks seem to have built this kind of hive mentality where they can synchronize their movements and really like you know act together in in a, in kind of like a group now yeah which you know changes the 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 game uh, of how these sharks are and obviously there is only i think one other scene where the sharks are really working together to to attack um once you know the facility is starting to you know flood and stuff like that but, you know, we really see the fact that, you know, there are these different components that it are in them. And, and you know, and there's only really, you know, the whole electrocuting or burning sharks, apparently, that works in any movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um... <sighs> yeah, they, I know there's some people get really upset by that bird bite of the dust, which I don't understand why a shark would want to eat a, eat a parrot, but... And it's only, cause especially because it's such a small, annoying, stupid bird. <laughs> um, apparently, they, they had no uh, time to really train the bird, so they basically got two parrots. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that they could use for flying, and the other that would sit on LL Cool J's shoulder. <laughs> How did you find the character of, of Dr. Susan? I mean, we've obviously seen, said already that only, Tess Orton saw her as the villain, and yes, she is sort of like very sort of driven in her, her research, but it never comes at like whenever we've seen like you know the the more villainous sort of scientists who are sort of like oh I, my research is above all other else like the human cost and that doesn't matter i never got that vibe of her i think you know what it is is that um the character of susan is a bit off-putting because in the beginning you don't really feel it as much because you know she lies about her research so you don't really know about you know the real thing that she's doing but yeah. when they really learn about the fact that you know she's gone against the code and genetically modified, genetically engineered um, these sharks. And that's why they are so smart. You know, it changes her character a little because the fact is that, I guess on the one hand, she's kind of just defending her own research. She knows it's wrong. But at the same time, she feels that it's going to be a greater good. It's like, you know, you know, it's like, you 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 know one person dies for to save a hundred sort of thing you know um, oh yeah so is that a villain or is that not like her intentions are good because she wants to you know end this you know really um suffering sort of disease that has no cure um but at the same time you know it's the question of how far do you go or are you playing god um 
And at the same time, you know, it also highlights the fact that, you know, genetically engineering and genetically modifying things are not really good. Um, so, you know, in some sense, she definitely is the villain character here because you can't really say the sharks are, but they actually are <laughs> the villains more than she is, right? But in the end, I think it makes more sense for her to die. Um, not because she's a villain, but because she started it all. At the same time, I mean, these are sharks that were relying on a really, on a plan that hinges on percentages so badly. It's sort of like, the fact that, we, I mean, we're just going to say, you know, if you've not seen Deep Blue Sea, um, well, go see it now, because it's awesome. Um, but let's just break down the the whole sort of trigger point for the shark's plan here. The shark has to first of all pretend to be anaesthetized so it can bite off the arm of um, of Jim. So he then gets taken up and winched up in the storm, and it relies on that winch failing and dropping him in the water so they the shark can pick the gurney up, drag the helicopter into to, to it explodes in the uh, in the fuel line, and at the same time throw the the gurney into into the window of the lab so that it uh, it cracks and obviously floods hence causing the facility to collapse and so that they can get the weaker mesh at the top at the top it seems like but, a lot of work and no, then no, the sharks I, have to set all these dominoes up for it to work i feel like you're you're thinking about this a little bit too smart um in that sense that you're you're giving the sharks the credit that they've already calculated all this i think the fact that we think about deep blue sea is that What's smart about these sharks is that they act on the situation that's in front of them. So what? So they have their brain works faster in that sense that they don't anticipate having to bite off the arm, but he was there, so they did that action. So that now someone is getting, you know, they just wanted to revenge because in the end they notice the people who are good to them also, because there is one part where they kind of like swim away from Carter, but they attack everyone else. Right? Which also brings the question of why they would attack LL Cool J, because it's not like he did anything to them, right? Um, but, you know, but then at the same time... <laughs> they clearly heard what sound what he contributed to the soundtrack. <laughs> but, then, but then, you know, at the same time, what I think is, they don't expect any of this to happen. But when it happens, they know what they need to do. They're waiting for that moment to be able to attack. But because the main idea is that they want freedom. So that's that's the thing is that they know they're smarter so they know the construction of the facility they've probably tested out that the bottom of the nets are titanium and you know flex like a net and can't break through so now they know that what they need to do is bring down the facility and they don't really know how to do it but when the opportunity comes that's when they they work together and they they do that right i think i feel that's more accurate than saying like oh they expected you know that the wench to, to, to do that and then, you know, the the doctor is going to fall into the water and then they're going to throw it at the lab glass. They just took up every opportunity they could in order to make this happen. Yeah. We'll talk about these these sharks because, I mean, obviously we've got <laughs> the biggest shark here is described as 8,000 pounds, 45 feet long, and that makes it four times the weight and three times the length of the greatest, largest market maker shark ever recorded and also twice the uh, length of the great white shark um this again just unsurprisingly just to the fact that everyone's trying to beat jaws and it's been going on since orca 
the fact that Orca opens with an Orca killing a Great White as a kind of fuck you to Jaws. And then when Jaws 2 comes out, we have an Orca being killed by the Great White <laughs> as a kind of fuck you right back. But yeah, it was, it was intentionally actually made to be bigger than the shark in Jaws. Um, so, and this was in part by uh, Rennie Harlan, who... I mean, as I said, the the shark was originally 20, 25 feet, um, so he increased it to 26, just to, you know, say that he's got the biggest shark. Um, Benny Holland's also said that this was the hardest film that he's ever had to make, no doubt similar to James Cameron with The Abyss, and the fact that everything's just continuously on a wet set, um, so it, you had to constantly like design everything so that it floated, and they would often make things that they thought would float and instead would just sink. So he's uh I think that probably explains why he'd never returned to do a sequel. The same way that James Cameron's never like made another attempt to make something like the Abyss again, just because you spend all day in a wet wetsuit and I can't imagine that's particularly fun. Um Stephen King also gave this film a thumbs up. Um this was um his first film after being almost killed by a van that ran into him uh he's described as saying my first trip after being smacked by a van and almost killed was the movies i went to my wheelchair and loved every minute of it which i suppose is really high praise from stephen king and it surprised me that they didn't really make more of it on the poster because certainly hellraiser went and uh ran with king's glowing sort of recommendation of uh, clive barker as a horror writer mm. evil dead again went with a really glowing review that stephen king had given it so mm. it surprised me that uh king's sort of recommendation for this film wasn't sort of stapled to every poster that they made for this but <laughs> but um in terms of obviously harlan's sort of like filmography this is really the high watermark it's only downhill after here and <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I sometimes I. I don't really realize I've seen his movies after until I've seen. It. And then it's like Deep Blue Sea, and then I don't know what Driven is. Mindhunters. I've never heard of anything other than The Covenant. I know Skip yeah. Trace is with Jackie Chan. Twelve Rounds is good. That's Legend John of Cena. Hercules. I've also heard. I've seen trailer for, but never watched. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of like 1999, and then 2001, we got Drew, which he gets his well, let me see, his third nomination for Golden Raspberry. He then goes off to do Mindhunters, comes back to Exist the beginning to another Golden Raspberry nomination, um, and then he gets a, another one in 2014 for The Legend of Hercules. None of this I've seen, and I don't know, it, everyone seems to think that Cutthroat Island was the film that killed his career, but I mean, he did Cutthroat Island in 95 and then did Long Kiss Goodnight, again, a film which has really gone on to have huge cult following, and kind of the reason Samuel Jackson signed on to do Deep Blue Sea, because he just really enjoyed working with Harlan on Long Kiss Goodnight, and came back, obviously, to do Deep Blue Sea, so... I think, I think it really hinges on the fact whether you like Deep Blue Sea as a movie or not. Like, you know... Between us, I'd, I'd say we both pretty much like this movie quite a bit. We at least enjoy it for, you know, even in mo in its ridiculous moments, you know. Um, but, I mean, there are some people who downright hate it. And, you know, I, I, can, I can get, you know, the flaws of it and, you know, how maybe for some people it won't work. But at the same time, <laughs> like, to call it, like what broke his career <laughs> you know like that, that that's the you know like 
that that's you know a downhill movie i wouldn't say that's true i guess uh, i mean i think i think I was... it's i think as a shark movie and as a as like a uh, disaster movie combination this one works pretty well yeah i think the fact the fact that the film uses a mixture of both cgi and animatronic sharks mm-hmm. is really a big uh sort of credit to it because i mean if you look at all the garbage that sort of followed in its wake uh like sharknado and two-headed shark attack and three-headed shark attack and just shark swarm and oh god it's just it's just a it's just been a endless sort of trade of just garbage and and a lot of it had to do with just the fact it's cgi sharks and Uh cgi sharks just look awful uh was here we get lovely (laughs) i i i I mean i'm gonna just cut you out there and be really honest that i'm a big sharknado fan and i've seen like i think four of the movies so far or something like that so i mean i i don't have an issue with that so much but I do agree there is a lot of like, um, you know, but Sharknado, you know, you like it for the ridiculousness of it. And like, I've only seen the first two and I was, yeah. I was like, you know, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just getting it's getting so like sad when you see you see them like dredging up all the 80s casualties. And it's sort of like, oh, this is a good career move. At least like the main guy is so enthusiastic about these well, movies. I, I'm going to I'm going to say that. A lot of where um, Asylum gets its fundings for future projects right now was from Sharknado. So, I mean, I have to I have to argue that that's probably one of its biggest movies, and then that's how it moved on to like doing Z Nation and then um, all kinds of different zombie stuff and whatnot. That that also caught on with some kind of pop, prop, like um, popularity, obviously, which obviously is you know we talked about it before, but we're not covering it. Is you know has that Netflix original that just came out for um, you know a spinoff of Z Nation called Black mm. Summer. So <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm dreading when we run out of shark movies and have to start talking about Sharknado. I don't know. We're I, we have lots more to go. I believe. We I have. Mean, you know, just if you we I'm sure we're going to come up with some further viewing in a little bit, which is gonna be some Sharknado, like not Sharknado, but some other shark movie. <laughs> I don't have Sharknado on my list. Some shark movies, like some real solid shark movies, and I I know I have some that I'm I've been trying to hunt down and can't find. So okay, um, okay, obviously, hello, <laughs> Sorry, hello, Cool J's contribution to the soundtracks. Um, aside, what did you think of the the soundtrack? Because I thought it was it was super effective throughout, and I think it's very underrated. The soundtrack we have here. I mean, it's music provided by Trevor Rablin, again one of the guys who's done a lot of work with Rockheimer. Um, probably best known for being part of the guitarist in the pro rock band Yes. Um, I don't know that doesn't even for you, Kim, but <laughs> the. <laughs> I don't know what you if you like prog rock or not, um, but no, the soundtrack. There's so many parts where the soundtrack just adds so much, um, especially during the whole evac sequence where they get the trying to get uh, Jim airlifted. That whole sort of sequence and how it like flows from like this big dramatic sort of music, and then it goes into like this very quiet and sort of choral, and then into this really intense moment as we see like the glass cracking in uh, in the in the viewing sort of chamber of, of like the lab and stuff, which I think has got to be like one of the the big fears myself, especially if you like go to like uh, an aquarium and you go in like the main tank and you see those ones which got like hundreds of thousands of pounds of like water in them. 
And part of me is always like wonders, it's like what happens if that had a crack in it? And it's sort of like it does look fun to freak yourself out sometimes, but there's so many moments that it's sort of like you've uh, like uh sort of amplified or just like just played so much about the soundtrack and it's so subtle and so in the background it's never overpowering it doesn't give any hints where as we said already it's not like the jaws theme where you're going to get a cue um it just constantly like adds to it and we have moments such as like where it just like rises to the front such as like in the tunnel sequence where um is it i think it's jan is sort of like lifted out of the water by the shark and um or like when they're in the compression chamber and they're doing like the last big push to the surface and you've got um you got preacher there and he's giving like the sermon about walking for the valley of the darkness and he's gonna fear no sharks because he carries a big fuck off stick which i think is the way it's the sort of like preaching i can get behind <laughs> yeah no I, the soundtrack is really good um I, I talked about it before and how it builds like a lot of the atmosphere especially you know in those quiet moments where you're just kind of like looking out into where you know you're looking out into the the murky water or looking or like when they're in the water um and you kind of have that like creeping feeling that they're around but there's also this quietness to it yeah but at the same time you know there's also like a lot of other elements that feel like it influenced the movie also you know like when you come in to you know look at the facility as they're flying in it's very like majestic music um very jurassic park-esque um style um and then you have like these other moments you know like you said where um you know the more intense moments of you know getting the gurney out um to the helicopter or other sequences like that where you really like the fast action really adds to kind of like that scene to kind of get your heart pumping um they do a really good job on that level awesome so for viewing where do you want to what do you want to pair with this because I have, a, I have a couple of ideas of, of things that you should should watch if you enjoy this but i'm really curious to know where where you're coming at it from kim um so i would say something that's super similar to this one and kind of like a, a plug for us is um the meg which uh is also you know kind of like in that sort of facility and yep. also with kind of like you know um and a, a giant sized shark in that sense right um so i think that the meg is a really good choice if you haven't heard our episode feel free to check out our archive and uh, listen to it um if not um i would say in that same sort of like intensity so it would be like 2010's the reef which is kind of like um it's like a group of friends who go on a sailing trip and then um and then kind of like their boat <laughs> they get into a disaster and the boat sinks and then there is this like white shark that's hunting them as there's like swimming through the big ocean so it's it's um it's a very like i found that movie was i think the next movie that i really felt that intensity um obviously sharks like jaws aside right but i yeah. mean like just anything other than jaws like the reef does a really good job of building also that atmosphere and using kind of like that kind of like they have this kind of like um dreading soundtrack and there's there's like that whole aspect of you know um seeing like really obs observing and like just being really helpless in that situation and i think i think that's about it i mean there are a lot of shark movies out there um but anything that and i mean i could recommend a ton but the fact is that all these other shark movies would probably be better served um paired up with another shark movie set in some other situation i guess 
Yeah, I mean, if you wanted another short movie similar to this, I mean, obviously The Shallows is the one that comes to mind mm. immediately. Um, or a recent short movie, actually. I mean, that was... I don't think when The Shallows was now. It was... Um, uh, I mean, The Shallows was 2016 with Blake Lively. And, um, I mean, I was surprised at how good The Shallows actually is. Mm. Um, again, that's a really sort of stripped down shark movie with obviously bait, bait lively. She's she's like meters from the shore and she's sort of stand stranded on a buoy while being um, stalked by the shark who's feeding ground she's unwittingly surfed into. Super effective film and very minimalistic, uh, but one that's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. The one that I would I always sort of like pair up though is not actually a shark movie, but it's a giant crocodile movie, and that's Lake Placid, also released mm. in nineteen ninety nine. And sadly, it wasn't the movie. I mean, I saw this and Anaconda and um, and Deep Blue Sea, and I was thought, oh wow, we're gonna have like this this renaissance of like uh, creature features. And sadly, it, it never came to anything. But Lake Placid is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. It's followed by five <laughs> direct DVD sequels, which are pretty awful. <laughs> um, and just feature CGI crocs but the original Lake Placid is a lot of fun it's a real good mixture of uh, comedy and horror in there um, another good film to sort of pair up with that as well is Rogue which is uh, directed by by Greg McLean who also did uh, Wolf, Na- uh, Wolf Creek um, again really underrated film on his filmography and I think a lot of people either went into it kind of disappointed the fact they weren't getting enough of Wolf Creek or that the distribution sort of meant that they, they never they sort of missed out on it and it's one really worth checking out because it's just such an effective um, sort of giant croc movie and it's played very similar to Jaws but obviously in the Australian outback and with a giant crocodile um, if you obviously want another good shark movie and obviously The Shallows it's a, you've seen that already then uh, definitely check out Jaws 2 for more uh, classic retro thrills there. I mean, yeah, obviously Jaws is good, but Jaws 2 is incredible. And it's my favourite of the series, and I will, I will, you know, I will put Jaws 2 up against anyone who, anyone who wants to say that it's it's not as good, if not better, than the original film. Um, obviously, the original film's got a lot of, like, emotional depth in there, and we've got a lot of the interesting sort of social politics of, like, the three sort of heads of the town uh with the mayor Brody and Quinn sort of like battling for their own sort of their own sort of like uh their own sort of like uh personal gains or goals but uh Jaws 2 is it's just so much fun it's stupid but it's really fun and plus you get to see a shark eat a helicopter and you know that's not something you get to see that often so surely worth checking out just for that alone um and the last one I'm going to pair, which I mentioned already, would be Orca. Um, this was enough of those Jaws cash-ins, which there were so many of, and we'll probably get into a few of those when uh, on future Shark Weeks. But Orca's basically a, a giant killer whale who's, who's a mate and a unborn child gets killed by a, um, by a fisherman and decides to go on a wreak revenge on the coastal town where responsible deems responsible for it um again this is like a really interesting sort of uh creature feature it actually ends in a very surprising and kind of downbeat ending which really took me by surprise the first time i saw it but one that's uh, definitely worth checking out and and uh one i certainly have a lot of fun with as well so 
But uh, that's my my creature feature recommendations. I guess I don't want to. If you just don't want to just watch just another shark movie, then definitely check out uh, Lake Placid or um, Orca or Rogue. They're definitely good ones to pair up with this. I like your choices. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I, if you put Anaconda in there, I might have had some objections because I don't, really uh, don't think that's a good movie. Um, but but I mean, Lake Placid is definitely really solid. Um, I've never seen Rogue. Um, and it looks interesting for sure. Uh, I think when we get and I actually, point, I yeah. actually thought about further viewing using the shallows as well. Um, I was kind of debating between that and forty-seven meters down, but I, I, I didn't know if it was good to pair together, so I kind of like put it off my list. I really do like the shallows, though. I think it's, it's, you know, I, I don't think it's credited as much as it should be. Yeah, like people find a lot of flaws with it, but I think that. You know, it's one of those Blake Lively um, uh, roles that she really does a really good job at. Um, you know, she she doesn't do, you know, like, I don't think, like, sometimes they give her good enough roles. Um, or she's not in good enough movies. But this one, I think it fits her perfectly, especially because she spends most of the movie by herself. You know, she's just <laughs> acting, you know, herself and the shark situation around her. So I think that shows a lot of, you know... Um, acting skills just doing that it's a hell of a lot better than savages that's for sure the movie's so smug i wish i had a face so i could punch it <laughs> i've never seen it so i have no comments oh it. it's it's so stupid she's um basically plays like this eco chick who's in this relationship with these two guys one's like a jesus like pot dealer and the other's like a uh military guy and they're basically like running this pot this is like a pop business where he's like the muscle and the other guy's like the botanist and, and it's like oh fuck off really <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we'll, we'll talk about that so we get hate on it but it's like wow Oliver Stone you you lost your way somewhere along the line of this movie well thank you as always for joining us for the second inaugural uh sorry the second annual Shark Week. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've obviously second, enjoyed. Second seasonal Shark Week, I guess, because we're on a seasonal basis, right? Okay. <laughs> so, well, thank you for joining us for the second seasonal edition of Shark Week. Uh, again, we hope that you've enjoyed joining us for this as much as we've enjoyed geeking out of a deep blue sea. Uh, still a cold, stone cold cult classic all these years later. Um, and one definitely worth checking out if you haven't discovered it already. Um, it's pretty easy to get hold of and no doubt pretty cheap as well. So, double bonus there. Um, as always, if uh, you haven't done already and want to catch up on the first two seasons of Moves and Tea, please do. Uh, we can be found on WordPress, as which is uh, com. And there you can listen to our complete archive. You can also find us on Anchor. We are also on Podomatic and Spotify and everywhere that podcasts can be found. You can also connect hits us up on Twitter and and Facebook as well as Instagram, where we post interesting sort of like screenshots from films and post uh, about interesting bits and pieces. And we are obviously gearing up for season three. We're keeping it. We're gonna keep that a little closer to us at the moment as to who the director choice is going to be for that one. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, Kim, next week we're still obviously after hours. You know, we're still yeah. hanging here out out here in the booth. What are we going to be looking at next? 
Yeah, so uh, next time we're looking at my pick for the After Hours, and that's going to be 2013's Europa Report, uh, which is a found footage sci-fi movie um, where an international crew of astronauts uh, go on a privately funded mission to search for life on Jupiter's fourth largest moon. Um, so, you know, it's a... It's an interesting one. I really like it. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that bringing this to the table, we're gonna have a good conversation because it feels like there's not a whole lot of people who have seen it. Yeah, definitely uh, one that we've been excited to talk about. And I think it was when we were talking about life, randomly in one of our post show chats that uh, that you brought it up, and it it looks really cool. So I'm really excited to to check this one out and uh, hopefully discover something of a under the radar hit there but we'll obviously find out on the next episode um but again thank you as always for listening and joining us please do hit the like and subscribe button if and uh maybe leave us a review you know it all helps raise the profile of the show uh thank you of course as my co-host kim and uh again uh thank you all for listening and uh until next time good night